Welcome to the Pixel 506 podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Pixel 506 podcast. Today, we have the honor of having Scott Gillen. Uh, Scott is the founder of Carbon Design and he's a former head of Washington DC office for Gyro. It's the largest, one of the largest B2B agencies in the world. I know we're gonna to be touching on different topics where technology is helping marketing or where we see marketing going. Tell us about yourself. You and I, we met many years ago uh, yeah. through, through a common friend. Also, we work together uh, in common clients. But tell us about yourself. For those who don't know you, uh, who's Scott and where you come from? Yeah, so um, I'm the founder CEO of Carbon Design, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, I founded that in the fall of 2017. And prior to that, as you said, I was uh, with, with Gyro, which is now the largest B2B agency in the world. I was with them for seven years, founded the Washington DC office. And then prior to that, I spent 12 years in management consulting, doing go-to-market strategy and working with B2B clients on helping them with their sales and marketing efforts. And so um, kind of brought all that history from the past and formed, formed Carbon with that. And with that, I, I, there are a lot of just interesting learnings along the way, especially as it related to people. And so when I left Gyro, I was really very interested in why we were seeing some trends as it related to people. And I think this has become amplified in the environment they're in. When I was at Gyro, we started to see a trend with our creatives where they would work for a month and then they would disappear for a month. They go down to South America or go to Costa Rica, go zip lining and surfing or for Calvin. a month. Right. <laughs> And you could see that there was this generation that was looking to work differently. And then when I was in the consulting uh, business, we would lose a lot of really talented middle managers because they would, at that time in their lives, they're having children. And so mm -hmm. they would work part-time or try to work part-time to care for their family. And it was a real struggle. It was a real struggle trying to figure out how to balance work with life. And, and so when I started thinking about forming this new company, those things were in the back of my mind. The other thing that was in the back of my mind was that my wife left a very successful career in advertising. She worked for Ogilvy and she was struggling after our children got into school to, to find meaningful work. And so I ended up reading Daniel Pink's Drive and in it, he talks about autonomy, mastery and purpose. And that just struck a chord with me. And so we founded Carbon. We really focused on those three things. How could we bring, and, and that combined with a lot of research that I had done around engagement, employees were becoming less and less engaged in the workplace. And Daniel Pink, so I was, as I was searching to figure out why is it that employees aren't engaged anymore, Daniel Pink said to solve engagement, to have people engage, it's those three things. So I had that in the back of mind. I read, Daniel Ping's drive and then he had the solution that said if you want to build a type of organization where people feel engaged you give them purpose you give them an opportunity to master something and you give them autonomy and so that's what we ended up doing so the carbon design platform is freelance contractors it is people who at this point in their career work the hours that they want to work and they mm -hmm. are masters a lot of them are masters and they have the ability to work as a freelancer or a contractor or they want autonomy because they're a stay-at-home parent and they want the flexible schedule and so we built around that and and it's been fantastic it's 
you almost have to earn this right to work this way. I, I was going to say, yeah. Uh -huh. You need to have a mature workforce um, and you have to have trust, right? And, and that takes time, but it's when you can get to that. So that's, that's our delivery model. That's kind of the first of what makes us different as an organization is that we deliver through these teams. And it's different from a fiber or Upwork. We're not transactional, mm -hmm. we're not selling bodies. And as you know, cause you've worked with teams, we're selling teams and we're, we're engaging just like an agency would full service, everything from research to execution to media. We do it all with your help with partners like uh, pixel. We are able to combine people who are working the way they want to work with partners who are masters in areas and have a similar kind of philosophy as we do to do really great work for clients. So it's, it's working for clients that the working, theory was if we have more engaged, happier, and I say happy for a real reason. I mean, people are happier this way, happier people, you're going to produce better outputs and you're going to have happier clients. And fortunately, you, yeah. So, and this is super interesting. We're talking about it because as we see this whole COVID thing happening, everybody moved from offices to houses. Right. And yeah. this idea of managing people like, has to show up and all that well look look at my office right now it's completely empty right <laughs> just yeah just i'm working in cabo <laughs> exactly so uh th this whole idea of uh everybody together to me is important the, the the one thing that is important is because it creates some sort of engagement but also micromanaging or you have to be on top of somebody as you said you have to earn the right to work that way but but in a way is I think after COVID, it's going to be the whole new way. Hey, look at our teams, right? Like we're Costa Rica, Peru, Nicaragua, right? It's, just, it's all, it's across board for you guys. And we're doing things together. You're in North Carolina, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then we have common clients that are in Chicago. So for tech companies, maybe was already there, the, the, the way we work, but for agencies or strategic work, there's always been this thing where mm, if, if creatives or strategic people are not together, the work is not going to happen. I, I, I totally agree. I, and I think that's all been blown up where people realize that you don't have to be in a room. And now there is a certain energy and there is a certain um, chemistry that works and happens when you're in a room and you're riffing back and forward, especially for the creative process. I think we found ways to be able to replicate that. But I, I will tell you the big difference I think is going to come out of this is people have struggled for a very long time figuring out a work-life balance. And what this is going to cause is, it, and, and this is what we've seen with the people who work for us, it's a life-work balance. If you get your life right, then you can do work the right way. Your priority has to be on your life, not on work. And, and, and it's always been like work-life balance. I had to get my priority on my, my life or my work, and then your life su suffers. Right? Your family suffers. You don't get to spend time with your children. You sacrifice all that for, for the job, for your career. I think what we're going to learn out of this is if you put the focus and energy around life, your family, your kids, your work will be that much better. It's just a mental shift. Do you feel, uh, let's talk a little bit more about it, because do you feel like being home and having the ability to, to make your hours and all that, you feel like actually you produce better work like you. So in a way, like we have this, this person at work and once we move everybody to work from home, 
she was really stressed out because she was like, I gotta be on the chat. I gotta answer every email within five minutes. And, and that's good, but then in a way, it was a lot of stress to move yeah. from the office to home, which was the opposite. Now it's the opposite. Nobody wants to come back to the office, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I think you're right. I think it is that we've been conditioned to think about work a certain way. And, and that conditioning, and this is some interesting research we did with a client years ago. And what we found was your personality and your work persona aren't necessarily aligned. And a lot of times they're not. You actually become and act like a different person in the workplace. And it's not who you really are. It may be because you're in a certain role. It may be because you're in a certain corporate culture. And you, you behave that way. But when you can get back to being who you really are, and we'll talk a little bit about personality-based marketing, which is what this is leading towards, is when you can come back to who you really are and start to work organically or naturally, especially it relates to your circadian rhythm, you're going to be more productive. So for me personally, I was always a guy who liked to work outside. And I was always a guy on a conference call, right? If I was working from home, birds were chirping, lawnmowers were going, dogs. And I always felt bad about that. But now, especially in our culture, like that is the norm. Like if I'm not hearing birds chirping or kids screaming, we're not doing something right. So <laughs> that you become, if you create this environment where, where you can become and be yourself, you're going you're gonna to be more productive. You're going to feel better about getting up in the morning and going to work, whether that's just walking up the stairs or walking outside. And you're going to feel better at the end of the day. You're going to feel like you're, you have more energy, you're refreshed, you can give back to the family, and your days are different, right? Mm -hmm. Your days aren't, I don't think humans were ever designed to work eight straight hours. That was, that was manufacturing that caused that, right? That's in the 1800s. We worked that because the advent of electricity allowed us to light up a day and allow us to work straight through on a manufacturing line. That's not the way humans are built, but that's the way that work was built. It's, it's very interesting because, you know, as you know, I moved to the States. So I've been there for like 14 years. And at the beginning, I had to adjust because in, in Costa Rica, for example, it's a little bit different. Uh, it, it was really interesting because at the beginning in my career in the U.S. specifically, people used to tell me, you don't seem, you don't seem very stressed. You don't seem stressed enough. I was like, <laughs> but I'm... I'm delivering the products, you know, I'm delivering what you want. But they, they felt like I was not stressed, like I didn't look stressed, right? It was a good thing and a bad thing, but it, and then people realized, well, this guy is, you know, this Costa Rican guy, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but you're totally right, like if you're, if you're in a position, you behave a certain way, so when you're doing demographics, for example, and you think you're creating content for a specific role, Maybe it's not even close to what people are yeah. thinking because yeah. people are thinking about golf, golf and whatever they're doing, right? Like I work with this v, uh, VP of sales and uh, I, I do a lot of uh, cycling with him. I started cycling with him uh, four months ago. We have closed many deals this year, but then I realized his life is cycling and whatever he's selling, right? Yeah. And so with that, we found common ground to, to articulate or to be able to sell together or to be able to to do deals together in a completely more relaxed yeah. way than before. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you intuitively believe that people want to master something or they want to do good work or they want to be good at what they do, 
then what's holding them back? Like, let's just get rid of the barriers that hold people from reaching their potentials. You would, as humans, you'd think that we all want to achieve that, right? We want that personal satisfaction of feeling like we're good at what we do. And so many other things get in the way of that. And I think it's great. That, and I was going to say, you look good. You look like you, you look like you lost a couple pounds. Must be the cycling. You look great. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but to your story about not looking stressed, one of the things that was most, I think, hurtful and, and painful in my life is when I was in management consulting, um, I worked in a highly competitive environment. Management consulting is a tough business. You work long hours, you travel a lot. And uh, I worked with a lot of very, very smart people. And we had a offsite team building exercise and we had a facilitator and they were asking us to go around and share things about, you know, your, your colleagues. And a guy who was a really good friend of mine said that it bothered him that I was so happy. <laughs> and, and it crushed me. It crushed me that I was, you know, I didn't know any better and I'm just like the goofy, you know, golden retriever, I guess. Because I, I didn't go to an Ivy League school, but a lot of these guys did. And somehow that, that bothered him. And that was like one of the most hurtful things I ever heard in my career. It didn't stop me from being happy, but it was painful to your point. Uh, people have this expectation of you in, a, in an environment where it's work and we're very serious. And we do things a certain way because of the culture or the environment. And, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, especially New York. It's uh, you know I built my career in New York, and it's uh, yeah you you become this person, which is great. I try to stick to my roots, but you know in a way you have to behave a certain way. Yeah. Uh, do, do you have any? How do, how are you applying this philosophy like carbon design? You and I we talked about personality based marketing, which is unbelievable. Uh, but how do you, it's interesting because you're focusing on that, but how do you merge the two carbon philosophy on how you guys work, uh, finding all these, um, let's say not freelancers, but very well vetted, um, uh, professionals and now merging them into personality based marketing, which is what you're providing to your clients now. Yeah. So the delivery model is get people happy get them dedicated to what they're doing, get them passionate about what they're doing. And then the front end was, let's solve some very big problems. And the, the thing that we're solving now through personality-based marketing is if you think about what has happened with ABM, there's been a lot of investment around ABM in the MarTech stack, right? And that has been around understanding that, especially in B2B enterprise space, that there's only a few accounts that are, well, not a few, but there's not thousands of accounts, there's hundreds of accounts that really are important. And within those accounts though, there may be 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 buyers, right? Because of the size of those organizations. And so account-based marketing makes a lot of sense from that. I'm focused on an account. I wanna make sure that I'm managing and nurturing the opportunity within that account and I'm making sure that I'm covering buyers in a consistent frequency and I'm able to detect what's happening inside of that account so that I can make sure I'm converting that and harvesting for sales leads. But the thing that's missing, and this is really important in today's environment is, and by the way, through the ABM and prior to that marketing has been developing personas and buyer's journeys, right? 
And so we're trying to align, make sure that we're developing the right kind of content for that particular buyer at the right stage in the buying process. What has been left out of this entire equation is the actual person. If you look at personas, they're built around titles or roles or responsibilities, and they're not built around people. Mm-hmm. And so we build out these personas and that's fine. It helps us align to understand what their needs are and what we might be able to do, provide them with the support to be able to guide them towards a solution for their needs and provide the content to educate them towards that. What we don't recognize is that people behave differently, right? So what we've been able to do, and we use some AI tools, is that we start with this disk segmentation, which has been around since the 40s, and disk is dominant and influencing um, uh, I'll come back to the C is conscientious and the S is uh, steady. And each of these personality types have very unique needs. They behave very uniquely in what they desire in terms of the information that they're receiving and how they go seek information is very, very different. So for example, we worked in healthcare space, health tech, med tech, looking at CIOs. There are four different types of personalities in CIOs. And of those four, two are very dom- are very much what we're interested in from a marketing perspective. It, it is, is it a certain type of dominant personality? Is it a certain type of influencing personality from a marketing standpoint that are really important for us because they're actively seeking information. And not only are they able to seek that information, but they're very good at telling the story internally to others about that information. And so what we've been able to do is to take this tool that we're using today, start segmenting out customers, and then we are able to align it with the other specialty that we have that makes us unique is that we are a challenger marketing shop. We're the only agency that offers challenger marketing. And years ago when they wrote the challenger customer book, they identified, so way back in the day, corporate executive board, CEB, now Gartner, wrote two books, The Challenger Sale, which looked at what makes a good salesperson and looked at it during the last recession. And what they found was that sales reps that challenged their customers versus relationship reps were much more successful. Bringing new insight, challenging the customer on the current thinking actually led to more success than just catering to whatever their needs are. Four or five years later, they did research again to actually understand what makes a good buyer. And in that, they wrote the challenger customer. And in that research, what they identify was there's six, sometimes seven different types of buyers, three of which were the valuable buyers that we were seeking from a marketing sales perspective. And those three are go-getters. And go-getters are people who have the ability to be able to take something from the outside, like a case study, and understand how that would apply internally and how that that could execute inside the organization and how they could receive the same kind of value out of that. They also were very much interested in process, return on investment, making it real. The other one is a teacher. Teachers are ones who are like influencer and disc that are seeking information. They have a quest. They're intellectually curious. They like to learn. As a result, they're constantly seeking information. They're constantly looking at different sources of information and they share it with others. So if you go back kind of the old world of marketing, they would be show up as an influencer, right? They're the ones who are getting information and interpreting and telling others what it means. And they're very good at socially sharing information. And they may be bloggers and people are sharing opinions. 
And then the last one is a skeptic. And a skeptic is aligned a little bit to the, set, the study and the disc. And these people are the ones who are like the filters. They come later in the buying process and they challenge the buying group, right? So can we really believe this vendor? Is that ROI really gonna be produced? Can we yeah. execute this? Do we have the resources? Is this the best way to support a budget? I think we've all run into skeptics in our, in our lives. They, they usually bring the objections. <laughs> yeah, but once you get them on your side, they're right, great, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So we've been able to match that up that we can now not only tell about customers as a personality profile, but we can also match it to what role they play in the buying group. And so instead of marketing to a title or role now, we have the ability to market to an individual and provide the preferred content, visually how they look, see it represented, the assets that they prefer, We've been able to bring it to that level that we can get it to an individual person. So let's let's back up a little bit. So uh, th there's been a term in, in the past two years, which is uh, psychographics, right? Yes. Meaning, if you as I as I mentioned before, if I'm doing cycling and then I like software, then you try to match the two. The question here is, and we do a lot of user experience. We do digital marketing. So when we're doing digital, especially when we're creating a product or doing a campaign, we do something that is called the buyer persona, and then we create what it's called a journey map, right? Yeah. So tell us where this whole idea fits in, in the, how is this different than the buyer persona that we're creating and how it ties into a journey? Yeah, so for example, for this client, when we are looking at targeting audiences by a title, we mm -hmm. found, for example, that, and this is again MedTech, Anyone who had a clinical title, they're in clinical operations, profiled as two, they over-indexed as two particular profiles that are late engaging or not engaging at all. And so we actually cut the prospect list. It, we profiled the prospect list, took everyone out and profiled that way, and we automatically pulled them out of the prospect list. So we didn't target them. So think about it from a conversion standpoint, those buyers, who may be late stage or may not be actually involved in the buying process are eliminated right from the very beginning. So as a result, our conversion rate and response has rate has an opportunity to rise right out of the gate because we're not targeting those types of individuals who will not, who won't respond. Right. But we, are, we haven't known that in the past. We just pull a list together and it's right. based on you know, age and yeah, title decision and maker, C level, right? You think about how we put our list together. And it's just, these are the buyers, here's the decision makers, here's the budget holder, holder and here's the user. And we pull yeah. that together, that we don't know that they'll engage. So if you, I think that's the other big thing. Marketing has different goals than sales, but we haven't separated that enough. We build prospect mm -hmm. lists based on buyers. What marketing needs are the people who are gonna start the buying process. They may not be the decision makers, but they're the ones out seeking the information that will bring the information into the organization. So another client we're working with right now wanted to target the C-level. We ran through the profiling and said, hey, look, this particular C-level, you're much better off targeting a VP or a director level than this C-level because they're not gonna pay attention to anything that comes to them. What we may wanna do is go down a level. What we're seeking is someone who is an information collector, an information sharer, a advocate for your brand, a influencer on others who can tell stories about what the impact is 
and or can show that there's a need inside of the organization. And as a result, you should start considering thinking about new vendors. Those aren't necessarily the same people who buy, but we've confused right. that, right? You know, we can separate it. Well, so the, the thing is, in my experience, for example, I used to, I think we used to target, uh, yeah, like, every, like everybody, right? Like everybody else, right? Uh, 40 years old up, because usually that's the people that is on the C-level. C-level, uh, let's create content for that C-level, specifically for the C-level. If it's a CEO, a certain message, because they have less time. If it's a CTO, more technical. If it's a CIO, uh, more, uh, more information. Like they usually, they want to dig in more and more information. And uh, but sometimes it works, but it's, it's almost like, it's like going like this, right? Like you really don't know if it's gonna work and data will come because you collect a lot of data and then you start optimizing campaigns or you start optimizing the content. But it takes time. It, you you much rather, uh, as you were saying, like if, if you have a group and you're able to say, hey, this group doesn't work, I'm going to focus on these three guys, you're better off because you spend so much money targeting the thousands of people you want to target to get one sale. Yeah, right. yeah. And I didn't fully answer your question as it relates to personas buyers journey, so I will. So a client that you and I both work on, um, as you know, and we're doing some digital advertising. What we did is we randomly took uh, a list of the people who responded to their advertising and we ran them through the process and we identified that 74% of the people who responded to various different digital ads profiled into these, into two particular segments, right? So the other two personality types don't matter. 74%. And in one, 52% of all the respondents were this one personality type. And it's the one I just described who are actively seeking information. And so the response now back to them is that we can say, you should build content to respond back to them and to nurture them that looks like this because they over index in this particular profile and they like to see things that are very visual. They like infographics where it conveys a lot of information very quickly. They like the storytelling of an infographic. They like things that are conceptual. They like things that are very bright visually. Um, they like things that have a lot of white space around them. So we're actually able to go back and describe the type of content that should be created or the type of content you have. Use this to respond to this group of people. So and is, it, is the algorithm telling you uh, your communication is not working? So it's also, it's not only going deep into who the person is, but it's also going deep into what the communication looks like. It's telling, we're able to match it up and say they like this type of content okay. because of their personality type. We have that information. We know, in fact, we even know how you should write emails. Mm -hmm. You should write emails that are very short, that are provocative, that in the very beginning, uh, have a very natural, friendly tone to them, right? Very cow. This person likes very casual. We even know about time. Like, we know this one particular personality type has a very loose calendar and schedule, and they don't like to be held down. And so they have free time, and they'll take phone calls, and they trust very quickly, right? So we're able to know all this. To your point around psychic, we took a lot of information from you know twenty, thirty years of understanding psychographics motivations, attitudes, and belief, and now we're bringing all forward. And look, it's been done in the consumer side for a very long time. 2016 election got, <laughs> was an evidence that it was being used the wrong way by Cambridge Analytica, but 
this is now making its way into the B2B side. It's really important because uh, a friend sent, a colleague of mine sent me a note today that Gartner said for the first time in I don't know how many years, branding is now the number one priority in CMOs. And it makes sense. We have to reposition, we have to remessage. There's a lot of things going on in the marketplace. And the other thing is that their budget's being squeezed and they're all, everybody's running into the digital channel. I, I think the spend level in digital is up like 60%. So we're all squeezed into one channel. And if that's the case, in order to be able to stand out and differentiate your message, you better be able to connect with audiences better. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me ask you, so Facebook created something called lookalike audience. If you have a bunch of friends, then they will find an audience that is similar to what your friends are, et cetera, psychographics, demographics, et cetera. So let's say for a company, so are we talking about a company, especially for example, this common, common um, client that we have, they have a huge database that you are able to go in there and fit your algorithm and make sure that you understand their audience to go out and look for leads. Is this, is this how it works or you're actually scouting through the database that they already have? Yeah, so we took the, we took the list of people who had responded to their digital ads for the last six months or so, run them through our tools, described who is responding, and now we can say if they wanted to, go find people who look like this. And here's the interesting thing we can't find any commonality in titles, roles. Like I can't say a certain personality type is likely to be this kind of role or title. It doesn't, it doesn't match up like that, which makes it even more apparent that it doesn't make sense for us to market to a title and only have one type of content piece. Like we assume everybody in that role is the same personality type. We haven't been able to show that yet. I, I, I've never seen it. Now, what we can say, which is interesting, is that there is, in this one particular case, in healthcare, we could see if you had a background in a certain area, you had a tendency to profile as a certain type of personality type. But not, not at the role level, we can't. We can look at your education, we can look at your culture, um, we can start seeing some trends there, but it's never been able to, I can never align. So I, I don't know if you're looking to seek to, to find these other buyers and it, if title is one of the key things, I can't tell you to look for a certain type of uh, title. So when we talk about content, uh, somebody that we follow a lot content wise has been Gary Vaynerchuk. Yes. He talks a lot about uh, splitting content and slicing, dicing content that for different ways for different audiences. And, and this is all coming together now with algorithms like this one uh, for different networks. And something that it, was, it really struck me is when he said, uh, you're, they target people from 18 to 25. Uh, Antonio at 18 was a person, at 19 was a totally different person. 20 <laughs> was something different, right? Maybe when you're in the 40s, changes a little bit, but you, you, we said at the beginning, right? Now people are more focused on family. Yeah. So how do you... How do you make this content that it, it's so relevant that when they're with kids, you know, they're, they still save it and read it later when they have time. Or yeah. If you think about, about engagement, your, then. Yeah. If you think about your own behavior, um, 
it's all different. We're all different, right? Where we get our information from, what we pay attention to, when we consume it, how we consume it, it's all different. And that's not really been considered, at least on the business marketing side, that's not been considered. Mm. We all assume that business decision makers are very rational and they want information that relates to buying something. And that information typically to buying something has to do with something I want to sell. And that's just not right. It's not the way people behave. And so trying to get closer, we'll never be exact because we're talking with about humans here. We'll never be exact. Humans are constantly in fluid. They're fluid. They're changing all the time, but we can start getting closer than we are today in terms of what their preferences are. And we have that ability to actually get to know them better. So what's, what's the future for, for carbon? Uh, where do you see this taking you guys, uh, us because I'm part of carbon as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we do a lot of collaborations and, and it's great. Every, every time we work together, it's always amazing with the team and everybody, but plugging this whole concept, actually not, not a concept, this whole AI marketing based, uh, personality marketing based, uh, where this is going, where is this taking uh, carbon? Is this a new, uh, a new uh, program that you're running or a business unit? Yeah. And then you, uh, this is going to tie to the um, consultancy part or to the strategic part? Yeah, it, it starts with the strategic part and then it leads to the creative part. And the better we are with the strategy piece, the better the creative aspect is. And so I think the thing I mentioned few minutes ago about the separation between marketing goals and sales goals is really critical. And I think to me that that's the next big evolution that we're going to take is that we recognize that what we're trying to do from a marketing perspective is different from what we're doing in a sales perspective. And if we can free that up, if we can release that, I think the creative will get better. We are looking for certain types of personalities and they have certain preferences and they are the tip of the spear. Like they're at the beginning mm -hmm. of the sales process or the buying process, right? That's what we're looking for. We in the past have kind of tried to cover the whole buying process and, and that's, that's important, but a portion of that is for sales to do not marketing and we need to focus better. And so instead of being an, as they say, an inch deep and a mile wide, we're, we're going to be a, half a mile or a quarter mile wide and we're going to be half a mile deep and and that's what's going to be important because if you look at the success of our marketing campaigns honestly they're really bad i mean three percent five percent like we're talking about 90 plus percent failure in our campaigns that's ridiculous <laughs> and so that's the opportunity is how do we get that down part of that as i described is eliminating the pieces the people the roles the titles who will who are creating the bad data creating the, the you know creating 30 percent of that 90 percent that are never going to we're hitting people who will never respond to us but we still have them on our list okay. we can remove that we have an opportunity to increase our response reversion rates that's the opportunity yeah, I, I think uh, you're happy now if you get a 7% open rate on an email, right? It's terrible. And, and people don't know why, and you know, people blame each other. But the thing is, I think if I can summarize some of what you said, branding, 
marketing and sales uh, are three topics that uh, have different focuses, right? But before it used to be like all together. When yeah. I studied branding, everybody was like, yeah, you're in marketing. And then when I was in uh, marketing, then you're in sales. But, and then sales will blame marketing <laughs> because they have zero closing rate. But, but the reality is, is uh, first of all, sales has to be more educated, I think, right? To be able to carry through with what you just described on the marketing part, right? And uh, if you're having this message, how does the sales team carry that message across? Because this is a stopper, right? Yeah, it's like two different worlds. So how uh, I don't know if we have time, but how do you see that gap bringing or bridging that gap? Yeah, it's it's interesting. We just had this conversation this morning with a client, and I'll I'll, I'll do it in very simple terms. I sound like a client now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. This there's two buckets. There's the what bucket, and that's that's what you're selling, right? And that's about feature functionality benefits of what it is that you're selling. And then on the other side is the why. And this why is why do I need it? What's causing the what to be valuable? And so salespeople a lot of time, and rightfully so, spend their time talking about what it is. This is what we have. This is how it works, right? Marketing should be spending their time on describing and supporting and building out why you need it. Hmm. And this conversation this morning we were having was, there was too much what and enough, not enough why. And so the what wasn't working because the why wasn't there. It wasn't strong enough. There wasn't enough marketing saying, here's what's happening in the marketplace. And this is why you need to consider the what I have for you. And so sales in this particular case, wasn't getting the coverage from marketing that they needed to be successful. When we started to blow out the why, Look at all this disruptions that's happening in the marketplace right now. And you can imagine all the stuff that's going on, right? Pandemic. Yeah. We've got, you know, we've got all kinds of things happening in the United States here on uh, social justice and, and other things. There are a lot of things that are occurring right now that, and for this particular company, makes their what even more important. So we were brought in to improve the value proposition of the what. When we found, what we found was the value proposition of the what was fine. They weren't describing why audiences, buyers needed it effectively. And so that's where we spent our time was, and this is going to come down, you know, next week we're going to present these findings and they're going to look at the value proposition and go, well, we've already been saying that. And we're like, that's great. Keep saying it because it's even more important now. And this is the part that's been missing. So to your point, those two pieces need to work together. We have to understand that we work together. We do this. And that benefits you over here. You talk about this, that gives us insight to be able to understand how to communicate with audiences better and when you hear feedback. Those two parts have to fit together better. One of my passions is talking about sales, but uh, finding the message, making sure you hit on the branding, on the marketing, and then on the sales is an art, I believe. Uh, and then what you're saying, like just discovering some parts of it is, is what the market is going through right now. Uh, breaking through noise to me right now is, is uh, what's, what's really important. I mean, it's super hard to break through noise right now. It will be for any company, any major company, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the most important, I believe. If, if marketers, companies right now are not changing their positioning and their messaging right now, 
they're going to fall behind and get lost. That is so important because people's minds have shifted so dramatically in terms of what is important to them and how they're living their lives and what their needs are and how much budget they have left and security around their jobs and friends losing jobs. Like the mind of buyers right now is completely different than it was six to eight months ago. And if you haven't caught up with your messaging yet and how you're approaching those audience to sell something, then you're missing it. Like you're completely off. Spend a lot of time trying to think about how to respond to everything that's happening uh, in the United States right now as it relates to um, social injustice and social justice. And uh, we felt like we wanted to make, a, uh, you know, we wanted to make a comment. And the other thing to notice about our website um, for people, if you come visit carbondesign.co after this conversation is that it is, it's blacked out and it's mm -hmm. a show of, in some way solidarity, but understanding that in the United States right now, we're wrestling with some big issues and it's going to take all of us to try to get through it and, and to solve that. And, um, it's just our way of, of saying look to the marketplace and to others and people that visit that we, we understand, we hear you and that there's a way through it. And, and the reason why we picked this quote from Martin Luther King is it's optimistic. It's a belief in optimism. It's a belief that we can, if we collectively, come together that we can accomplish something. And there's in his statement around, I believe that this can be done is super people. It was a quote from the sixties was, it was somewhat connected to the riots that were happening and around the world and also Vietnam response to Vietnam. So you'll see that reference in there to, to wartime and peace, but it just struck us of, of optimism, of belief of coming together and trying to make the world a better place for everyone. Scott, it's a, it's a pleasure uh, talking to you, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Antonio. And I look forward to having you on my uh, podcast, MindShift, and hearing more about your operations and your offshoring and nearshoring uh, and how that can benefit people here that are trying to figure out a way to deliver more for their clients. Thank you for listening to the Pixel 506 podcast. We hope to see you again. This is Scott.